Hello and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast where we're staging a coup. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. And I don't even know what we're cooing against. It's You and me are the only two hosts of this podcast. Don't worry about it. Eh! Are you going to be the only host of this podcast now? Is that <laughs> my favorite cold opens are the ones where we imply that we murdered someone or some or will be murdering someone <laughs> or we've been dead the whole time. <laughs> I love this fiction we have that exists solely in the cold opens. If all of those existed at the same time, we'd literally just be like Cujo and Chucky. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Both the ghosts of long-deceased serial murderers inhabiting <laughs> bodies that don't belong to them. Sorry if I just spoiled Cujo for you. <laughs> Is that what Cujo's about? Uh, yeah, I actually just started reading it, but um, I've been avoiding it for a long time because there's a puppy and, like, that's hard for me. But my dad was like, you have to read this. Why haven't you read this? I'm like, I don't know. And then, like, two days later, a fucking copy of Cujo was in my mailbox. Of course. But, um, yeah, it's... <laughs> I honestly just thought it was about, like, a really mean dog. <laughs> no, it's about a dog that's, like, got rabies and then, I think, possessed by the spirit of a serial killer. Okay, then. Anyway, that... Uh, this is nothing to do... Mm. Well, this maybe it has something. This is chatting at this point. <laughs> this is nothing to do with anything. We're actually going to talk about Catherine the Great today. Um... I thought I didn't know anything about her, and then I remember that I watched three episodes of The Great, so I'm basically an expert um i'm gonna i'm gonna break some bad news to you different there's almost the nothing in the great that is historically accurate you mean the king that he wasn't super cute he unfortunately no i'll show you a picture and this is i'm gonna preface this with saying i literally just rewatched the great because i loved it so much and i wanted to watch it again it's a great show i don't care that it's not historically accurate because it doesn't claim to be like literally the subtitle is an occasionally true story. It's like Marie Antoinette. Like, I just like pretty colors and cute girls. Like, it's fine. Yeah, they basically, they take, like, the bones of the Catherine the Great story, and that's about it. Like, you need to finish watching that. Yeah, you do. It's really good. You need to watch The Nevers if you haven't started. I'll add that to the list, <laughs> along with all the other shows. It's so good that... I can't, like, eat or anything when I'm watching it because I will forget that the food is there. Like, we were doing cheese night. Uh-huh. Like, I completely forgot that there was cheese and caramelized onion dip. I was just so, like, locked into this show. Cheese blindness. That's serious. Cheese blindness. I had cheese blindness. The show cheese is so amnesia? fucking good. Cheese. Cheese. <laughs> cheese. Am- no, I'm not going to try it. Cheesenesia? <laughs> uh, my sources for this. Uh, Wikipedia, Smithsonian Mag, Live Science, uh, History.co.uk, which is the British version of History.com, which I also referenced. Uh, a website called HistoryHit.com and Town and Country Magazine. Didn't you also vaguely read or listen to a book? Yeah. So at some point after watching the first season of The Great, I did listen to the audiobook of Catherine, Portrait of a Woman by Robert K. Massey. Uh, I did this to help me fall asleep. <laughs> so yeah. I can, I assume I absorbed some of this through osmosis. I mean, it's worth noting. Yeah. It's it's good if you really want like the in-depth. I'm going to yeah say... The woman lived a long time, and she was very interesting. And if you want a deep dive, go pick up a book about her. (laughs) 
Because this is going to be a very brief summary. Just pick it up. You don't have to read it. Uh, <laughs> skim the back cover. So Catherine the Great, you probably know her the best as best as Empress of Russia, which is that was her thing. <laughs> Everyone has a thing. <laughs> but she was not born Catherine the Great. Surprisingly. Some people are born Catherine the Great. Others are forced into being Catherine. No, I'm just picturing, like, you have a baby and you're like, you know what? I'm going to roll the dice here. I'm going to name you Catherine the Great and I mean, hope for the best. It's kind of like the parents that will name their, their children, like, well, I guess Belle from Beauty and the Beast is one of the big ones, or uh, Chastity or Angel. Yeah, or something in the... Oh, it always backfire. I've never met a chastity who... Well, never mind. Keep going. Uh, so, Catherine was actually born Sophia Frederick August von Anhalt Zerzt on May 2nd, 1729. <laughs> Everything is 19-something, <laughs> even though we're well into 2020. Anyway. It's the past. Of course it's the 1900s. In what is now modern-day Poland. Oh, so she wasn't Russian. No. Fun story. Neither was Peter. Uh, so <laughs> we'll get into it. Uh, she was, in fact, born royalty, however. Her father, Christian August von Anhalt Zerbst, was a Prussian prince. Uh, and while her family was not particularly wealthy, they were well connected. Like two of her cousins would later become kings of Sweden. So, so at the same time or <laughs> different times, I assume. Um, so they were like upper middle class. They were kind of like the Blair Waldorfs, like not super rich, but like. They got along. Yeah, and at least my understanding of Prussia at this time was that it was just like a bunch of little principalities, essentially. So there were like a whole bunch of princes running around <laughs> being princes and ruling Ad over adorable. their little section of <laughs> Prussia. Yeah. And then there was like an overall king of Prussia. But uh, her childhood uh, was apparently uneventful. She was educated at home by a French governess and a series of tutors. She learned French and German and studied history, music, and Lutheranism. <laughs> I don't think I studied that one in school. No. Uh, she later, her, later wrote in her memoirs that she was regarded as a tomboy and that she had trained herself to master a sword, which... God, she sounds like the best. She, I was going to say, I threw that in there just as like a preview of how cool she was going to be. <laughs> the age of 10, she traveled to Russia at the invitation of Empress Elizabeth, who wasn't actually Empress at this point, I feel the need to say. She would be very soon. But there's this whole... Okay, we're going to get into some Romanov family drama. Yes. Are you ready? <laughs> Always. I'm going to do my darndest to describe the line of succession here, and you need to bear with me because literally everybody has the same name. I'll do an episode about, like, the Romanov family and the end of the dynasty later, so, like, consider this. Consider this, like, the prequel. Yeah. This is the Star Wars prequel, except better. Uh, so Elizabeth was the second eldest daughter of Tsar Peter the Great, who was, like, a big okay. deal, as far as SARS oh. go. Uh, he had 14 children and two wives at different times. Like, okay. He didn't, yeah, he was a polygamist. Like Jacob from the Bible. Yeah. Um, and on his death in 1725, the throne passed to his wife, Elizabeth's mother, Catherine I. So Elizabeth was his daughter. daughter. Yes. Okay. Catherine I reigned only two years before she also died, and she was succeeded by Peter II who was one of Peter the Great's grandsons, uh, in this case the son of Elizabeth's half-brother, Alexei, who had died in prison after being convicted for plotting to overthrow his father. So not even her son, her nephew. Yes. Okay. So 
we're talking about Elizabeth is the lady who invited Catherine to visit. Yes, this is okay. all happening okay. previously to this invitation. Okay. Previously and concurrent to, I should say. Uh, Peter II would also die in a timely death, as you do in the 1700s. In Russia, yeah. <laughs> and he passed, he passed the throne to another woman named Anna. And she was another daughter of... Uh, she was... No, she wasn't the daughter of Peter the Great. She was the daughter of Peter the Great's older half-brother, Ivan V. Christ, okay. <laughs> Anna reigned for nearly a decade, which is... A long time, A long time, considering the other two. Um, she was succeeded by an actual baby, Ivan VI, who was two months old when he became emperor. I thought that in Russia, the czarship could only pass to a male. Apparently not. Because they that was did. the well, that was the big deal with um Alexandra and what's his nuts from We'll, we'll get Rol- into the reason why that is at the end. Okay. <laughs> oh good. There's a plot twist at the end. So Ivan the Sixth, the little baby emperor. Uh-huh. He was the son of the previous Empress's only niece. Um, and she was a granddaughter of Ivan the Fifth. Why didn't the niece take over? She technically did. Her name, uh, by the way, also Anna. Oh, my God. Uh, she ruled as regent for her son. Okay. Because he was, again, an actual baby. A baby named Ivan is just really weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Elizabeth, during all of this, had been quietly building support amongst the Russian Guard regiments, uh, who were inclined to be fans of her anyway, given that she was the daughter of Peter, Great, Peter the Great, who... Again, it should be noted, had been an immensely popular leader. Hence the I mean, title. I assume from the name. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't like Peter the okay. Peter the meh. So in 1741, this was shortly after Sophia's visit, which we'll uh-huh. get to. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so she seized control of an army regiment whose name I absolutely cannot and will not pronounce. Uh, but it sounds like a cool time because she literally showed up at their headquarters, like wearing armor over her dress and made a really epic speech. Damn. Like Aragorn uh, <laughs> at the end of Lord of the Rings. Hell yeah. Uh, the regiment marched on the Winter Palace and arrested Ivan VI, who, again, was, was a baby. an actual baby. <laughs> they arrested a baby? I think he was like six months old. <laughs> Where did they get handcuffs that small? Um, they also arrested his parents. <laughs> okay, that feels <laughs> like the headline, the baby was incidental. Because we'll, we'll talk later about what happens to the baby. It's not... <laughs> Spoiler alert, not great. I didn't think so. Basically, she pulled off what was a very dramatic, but was otherwise completely bloodless coup. So (laughs) Elizabeth was already well acquainted with Sophie's family. They were distantly related because everyone is. Um, At one point, she had been engaged to Sophie's uncle, Carl August von Holstein. Carl with a K? Carl with a K. Mm. Just checking. Uh, But he died of smallpox before they could get married, as you do in the 1700s. Elizabeth remained pretty fond of his family. That's good. Uh, So not coincidentally, it would be on this first trip to Russia that Sophie would meet her own future husband, the boy who would become Peter III. All right. He would become, like, he wasn't born Peter III? No, he was born Charles Peter something something. I didn't write down his full name, but. So, like, you just (laughs) didn't commit to your name back then? like No. No, because you had five other people in your family who had the same name. (laughs) <laughs> you just had to wait and grow up and figure out what kind of honorific you were going to get at the end of it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so Peter was Elizabeth's nephew and the grandson of Peter the Great. And while he was a Romanov on his mother's side, he, like Sophie, had been born in Prussia, and he was the son of the Duke of Holstein-Gottorp. I think I'm pronouncing that right. So he was 
Polish. He was also German. Or German. Technically, it's, it's Prussia. It was Prussia at the time. Germany didn't exist, but, like, the culture is German. So it was, like, Germany, Poland, that yeah. other place where they dip the fries in mayonnaise and Jean-Claude yeah. Van Damme is from Belgium. Belgium's a little farther east, but, like... Okay. It was all kind of... None of these places were real countries yet. Okay. Elizabeth, who was child, childless, would later name him her heir after she seized the throne. Okay. Uh, so, by all accounts, including her own, <laughs> Sophie was not particularly impressed with a boy. Uh, at the age of 11, Peter was big on two things, uh, drinking alcohol and playing with his toy soldiers, a hobby that would continue well into adulthood. It re- it reminds me of that John Mulaney bit where he was imagining being drunk at, like, eight. <laughs> like, what did you do all day? Colored. <laughs> what did you color? Some big fucking brontosaurus. You wouldn't understand. That's exact. That's exactly how I imagine Peter in in the in the show The Great. Um, mm-hmm. Peter constantly talking about his his mother, not not a thing. Like that not wasn't really a thing, as far as I could tell. I didn't it, get too deep into like Peter lore. <laughs> there guy. is actually <laughs> there is actually a section on his Wikipedia page called Lore. It's apparently because this ghost saved some kids in World War II or something. I don't know. That's a mini that we will get to later. <laughs> but no, in a say, and I think in the show, he's actually Peter the Great's son. They really simplify kind of the family line. They I don't mean, do I, any of the drama. I it's, get it. Yeah. Um, and then, like, there's an Elizabeth character, but she's not actually Empress. She's just his aunt. So Okay. I need to watch the rest of the show. <laughs> I was going to say, even though the show is not based in any actual history... We will. Or it's based in some actual history. It just doesn't follow it. I mean, it. The, the people existed. We'll probably, yeah. Theoretically. I will probably constantly reference it anyway. Okay. So Sophie doesn't, like, this This kid is a fucking idiot. Yeah, no. Um, Which is brings me to my next point. It should be noted that a lot of our historical narrative surrounding Peter has been influenced by Catherine's writings. And she was not in any way a neutral observer. <laughs> she hated him. So he could have been, like, slightly more okay. He could have been maybe not as bad. But he also, spoiler alert, got overthrown in a coup, so he couldn't have been that popular either. I feel like it's barely a spoiler at this point. It happened 300 years ago, and we referenced it in the cold open. Regardless, the two really didn't have time to get to know each other during this trip, as Sophie stayed on one end of the castle and Peter at the other. Man, imagine going on a trip to someone's house (laughs) and just not seeing them like that. Yeah. Uh, Sophie and Peter would not officially become betrothed until 1744, when Sophie returned to St. Petersburg, Accompanied by her mother, oh, Johanna Elizabeth of Holstein Gottorp. Good name. Yeah. Now, how old would she have been at this point? Uh, 14, 15. Oh, so perfect marrying age. Yep, perfect marrying age. Uh, Johanna's reputation historically is very much like that of an overbearing stage mother. <laughs> oh, good. Good. She's so, like Mama June. Yeah. Uh, it was her side of the family that had all the connections. And likewise, like she was extremely invested in seeing her daughter make a good match. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, specifically, she wanted to see her become Empress of Russia. Well, who doesn't? I mean, yeah. Uh, she was also big into gossip and court intrigues and maybe possibly had a thing going with the Russian count who was conspiring against Elizabeth. Honestly, she sounds rad as shit. Like, <laughs> honestly, I remember this part of Massey's book, and she sounded just. She was there, like she. You had one job, and it was to get your daughter married, and the marriage happened despite Johanna. <laughs> like, I feel like she did everything to self sabotage. She got it without she got like wanting way. to. Yeah, she just. 
sounds like a piece of work. But <laughs> I mean, I would watch a show about her. Just yeah. like sloppy, gossipy. Uh. Uh, so Elizabeth hated Johanna, uh, but she adored Sophie, who upon arriving at court became so determined to learn the Russian language that she would get up in the middle of the night and pace back and forth across her bedroom, like reciting her lessons. It sounds like she had an anxiety disorder, which I find <laughs> incredibly relatable. Uh, Sophie also converted to Eastern Orthodoxy, despite her father's wishes that she remain Lutheran, uh, and she adopted a Russian name, Katerina Alexevyenia. Or yeah, not so fun when you're on the other side of yeah, the pronunciations. That's definitely wrong. Uh, as we know her today, Catherine, <laughs> the anglicized version. Uh, so on August 21st, 1745, when Catherine was 16, she and Peter were married in St. Petersburg and settled in the palace of Iranianbaum. I'm sorry, what was the name of it? Iranianbaum. All right. And how old was Peter, roughly? Do you know? I think he was like a year older than her, so he was probably like 17. Okay, so still drinking, still playing with soldiers. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, the marriage was a disaster from the beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. On the night of their wedding, Peter would abandon Catherine to go party and drink with his friends. Wow. Wow. Off to a great start. He could uh, have gotten laid, man. Actually, it would be eight years before they even bothered to consummate Jesus their marriage. Jesus Christ! I thought that was, like, a big... Maybe I'm just recalling, like, Marie Antoinette when they, like, put people in the fucking room to make sure that they did it. Oh, we'll get to Marie Antoinette. I have a thing on that. Um, <laughs> so, because there's a story about that, too. Uh, so this has been blamed on Peter having impotence and, like, his just his overall mental immaturity. But from all that I've read, I get the, stin- the distinct impression that, like, more than anything, they just didn't like each other. <laughs> like, they yeah. just... And I don't... Yeah. Sometimes you just... You don't click. <laughs> I mean, there are worse, worse things. It could have been like a, a Cal Drogo Daenerys situation. Could have been. Like I said in my notes, like this is not a Marie Antoinette situation, which if you're not f- familiar with that whole debacle, she and Louis XVI also failed to consummate their marriage for years. Uh, and it was because they literally didn't know how. Oh, Marie's older brother had to come all the way to Austria to explain sex to them. I was going to say they didn't cover that in the movie, but yes, they did. Yep, they, they did. did do that. Is the metaphor with the lock and the yeah? Yep. <laughs> so Peter and Catherine, they knew how to have sex because they were having sex with other people. <laughs> they just <laughs> didn't want to have sex with each other. Okay, so yeah, the, it's not that they were like young and naive. They just didn't fucking want to. They just were not into each other. Fair enough. Oh, uh, it's likely Catherine had her first sexual relationship with a man called, this is the best name, Sergei Saltykov. Ooh. Uh, it's been long rumored that Saltykov himself was the father of Catherine's oldest son, the future Paul I. Sure. I mean, yeah, probably. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. He sounds fun. <laughs> uh, Peter and Catherine would eventually have three children, or at least officially they had three children. There would be three children that lived with them. Three children were born. <laughs> The aforementioned Paul, another daughter, Anna, because uh, why not? There are more than six names. I hope <laughs> they know that. Uh, she lived just 14 months. Aww. So that was sad. Yeah. Uh, they also had a third, a second son, Alexi. Uh, Interesting. So, with a disinterested husband and nothing better to do, Catherine was free to dabble in more intellectual pursuits. She was a voracious reader and was especially big on Voltaire and like other philosophers of the French Enlightenment. Damn. So according to biographer Virginia Rounding, Catherine trained herself by learning and beginning to form the idea that she could do better than her husband. I mean, that doesn't sound hard. Not hard. Yeah. Even early on in their marriage, Catherine, she chose her friends carefully 
And she made a lot of important connections, kind of with the same factions where her husband was lacking in support. God, if I had that kind of emotional maturity and awareness <laughs> at like 20. Yeah, I, I got nothing. So in contrast to Catherine, Peter was more into Lutheran prayer books <laughs> and stories about highway robbers. Uh, he would become increasingly unbearable as the years went on. Uh, he kind of he like fancied himself a military commander, and he liked to lead his servants in early morning drills. Oh my god! Very much like a boy who, upon realizing he is rich and powerful, has replaced his toy soldiers with actual human beings. Oh god, he sounds like the worst. <laughs> so there is this one story. Um, I believe it came from Catherine's memoirs, but I might be misremembering an old episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. Um, but it tells how, after the death of Empress Elizabeth, Peter made this whole spectacle of himself during the funeral procession. So he was walking by in the carriage, and he would, like, stop in the middle of the street, and he would let the carriage kind of get ahead of him a little bit. And then he would run to catch up with it, because he liked the way his cloak billowed out behind him. <laughs> oh, my God. So the version of the TV show, not that different. <laughs> no. <laughs> Cuter. But definitely cuter, but still an idiot. <laughs> Honestly, one of the best character introduction I, introductions I've ever seen was his in that first episode where he just like grabs her boobs and makes a weird noise and then <laughs> runs away. Yep. I I love Nicholas Holt in that show. He's he's adorable. the worst. <laughs> and I love him so much. I just want to pinch his little cheeks. Uh, so good. He was a much better beast than Kelsey Grammer. Very much so. <laughs> Despite all this, Peter was still the heir, and he did indeed succeed Elizabeth to the throne after her death in January 1962. January 1762. I mean, if this was 1962, this would be a very different story. <laughs> uh, Peter was not any more popular as emperor than he was as a prince. Uh, unlike his wife, who really downplayed her Prussian background, Peter's reign was basically defined by it. So he could hardly speak Russian. Uh, he oh, made no secret of the fact that he greatly admired the King of Prussia, Frederick II. Uh, so after taking the throne, he withdrew troops occupying Prussian lands and then planned a war against Denmark, which had traditionally been Russia's best ally against the Swedes. Why? Because he's an idiot. <laughs> just, just to shake things up a little? Just, like, let's make Denmark real mad? I think it's because he was influenced. He won... I get the impression he really wanted Frederick II to like him. Oh, dear God. Yeah. To his credit, he did make some relatively progressive reforms during his short reign. Uh, so he proclaimed everyone could have religious freedom, which is That's a, a big deal. A big deal. Uh, he also made it illegal for landowners to kill their serfs, which is, well, certainly a step. <laughs> I wouldn't call it progressive, but it's definitely something that should have been taken care of. Relatively progressive. <laughs> Uh, so uh, maybe a little too progressive for some people in Russia. These new reforms did very little to help his standing amongst, say, the Russian nobility who owned said serfs uh, and the Russian Orthodox Church. Man, it's almost like history repeats itself. A little bit. You know, you do something a little progressive, you make the rich people and the religious people mad. You get a lot of backlash for that. Just a little. <laughs> Personally, Peter was known to be extremely capricious. Uh, his behavior towards his wife certainly didn't improve once Empress Elizabeth was dead. Uh, so it's likely that Catherine's decision to take the throne for herself was as motivated just as much by self-interest as it was for, like, the good of Russia. 
I mean, she had the power, like, she had the ability to, so yeah. like, I'm not going to fault her for it. Yeah, and, like, Peter, at this point, he'd basically iced her out in favor of his mistress. It was uh. becoming pretty clear that, like, he already had an heir lined up. Elizabeth is out of the picture. He's kind of ready to get rid of her, <laughs> whether that be by divorce or other means. I mean, if he had just divorced her, everyone would have been a little happier. <laughs> but, like, also, as unpopular as he was, uh, assassination was another real possibility that would have left Catherine in a precarious position. So seizing power for herself was kind of the only way to make sure she still had it. Regardless of whether or not she had done the coup, he probably wasn't going to stick around for very long. <laughs> done the coup? You know, did the coup. Uh, I'm going to do a coup. <laughs> uh, had it been my fate to have a husband whom I could love, Catherine later wrote, I would have never changed towards him. <laughs> but he was a dick, so here we go. Was that also in her writings? <laughs> yes, that's a direct quote. Okay. Very relatable. <laughs> uh, with her close ties to the military, nobility, and the church, uh, Catherine began plotting a coup with her then-boyfriend, military officer Grigory or- Orlov. We'll get to Orlov. His last name was Oh, Orlov. I thought you said Olaf. Oh, no. Orlov. O-R-L-O-V. Okay. That's a good name. It is a good name. Good, strong Russian name. (laughs) (laughs) And we look for that here. Uh, So on the night of July 8th, 1762, just six months into Peter's reign, Catherine got word that one of her co-conspirators in the plot to overtake the throne had been arrested. Ah, shit. (laughs) So with no choice but to act, she raced to gain the support of the Ismailikovsky Regiment. That's a word. Uh, which is a powerful military force in Russia. Uh, like Elizabeth before her, she delivered a speech acting the soldiers to protect her from her husband, <laughs> which honestly probably needed. Uh, yep. So with their backing, she was ordained as the sole monarch, monarch by the Russian Orthodox Church and immediately ordered her husband's arrest. <laughs> so Peter up until this point was apparently entirely oblivious to the coup. Like he had been on holiday yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, when Catherine seized power, so it was only when he returned to the Winter Palace and found it abandoned that he realized what had happened. Imagine getting back from, like, a nice, relaxing week in Hawaii to find out that someone has taken over your house. Didn't I tell you she was capable of anything, he declared, and then he proceeded <laughs> to cry and drink and be sad all over the palace. <laughs> uh, Peter's arrest was carried out later that morning by Grigory Orlov and his younger brother, Alexei. Uh, And together, they forced him to sign a statement of abdication. (laughs) As his hero, Frederick II, later put it, Peter allowed himself to be dethroned like a child being sent to bed. It's got a real, like, you can't fire me, I quit energy. (laughs) Very much so. Uh, So Peter was exiled to a town just outside St. Petersburg, where he was kept under guard for eight days until he, uh, he died. Oh, he died somehow. Um, we don't know exactly why. Man, he sucked, but, like, that's too bad. <laughs> so some believe he was killed as the result of a drunken brawl with his guards. Uh, uh, others think he was murdered by Alexei Orlov. Uh, the official cause of death was declared to be hemorrhoidal colic. What the fuck is that? I don't know. I didn't look it up. I didn't want to know. Uh, but it did quickly become a popular euphemism for assassination. <laughs> Hold on. No, Emily has to know what this means. Oh, boy. Good luck. It only brings up things about Catherine. Oh, wait, 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 wait. There's a Wikipedia article called Superior Rectal Artery. I think he died of a butt bleed. Yeah, that sounds right. 
Yeah, they definitely made that up and made it the most <laughs> embarrassing thing they could think of. Yeah, it it feels pointed. <laughs> from the it feels like a choice. From the like the way the w- words are put together and their meanings, it sounds like his butt just started bleeding a lot randomly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because he got stabbed in it. <laughs> oh, no one uh, deserves to be stabbed in the butt. <laughs> Uh, there's actually no direct evidence that Catherine ordered Peter's death. Um, it was convenient. Maybe he accidentally <laughs> bled to death from the butt? Maybe. Uh, it did allow her to consolidate power and secure her place on the throne. Uh, Peter's wasn't the only death to uh, ensure that. Uh, so two years later, remember the poor deposed baby Ivan the Sixth? Right, right, uh, right. So, he's still alive? Yeah, he's now 24 and also okay. still a potential rival for the throne. For some uh, reason, I thought you were going to say still a baby. <laughs> nope, still a baby. Uh, he had been confined at the fortress in Schlüsselberg. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, since he was six months old and was thought to be insane. Understandably so. Yeah, not not socialized at all. Isolated. Like, that's how you drive someone crazy. Yeah, that'll do it. Uh, so there was a group of conspirators that were attempting to free him as part of a failed coup against Catherine. Uh, and, as, and during that event he was assassinated by his guards the baby or the sorry the grown man <laughs> the baby yes okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> so Catherine, like elizabeth before her had given strict orders that ivan was to be killed in the event of an escape attempt ah so that was the thing that happened see i still just keep picturing a baby and i know that's not true so like i imagine him as a very awkward young man yeah very pale <laughs> yeah uh, so Catherine was officially crowned on September 22nd, 1762 at the Assumption Cathedral in Moscow. Congratulations. Uh, ostensibly, she was reigning on behalf of the eight-year-old Paul. Um, right. But she had no intention of yielding the throne when he came of age. And in fact, she did not. <laughs> she would go on to rule Russia until her death in 1796. Uh, she is largely credited with modernizing Russia, bringing it more in line with Western Europe, at least in terms of like culture. Uh, and she is viewed by many as an enlightened despot. So progressive t- for her time, but, you know, to a yeah. point. I mean, there's only so far you could go when you live in the 1700s. Yeah. Like, she was forward to thinking enough to believe in, like, the human dignity of all people and care about the plight of the common man. Uh, but she was also never going to say, like, she was never going to, like, question the monarchical system of government that had put her into power. Like, I mean, we have countries now that still won't do that. So. Yeah. Like, she's got a divine right to rule. What's she supposed to do? Let the people rule? The- no. Never. Have a vote? <laughs> so in 1767, she penned a document called the Nakaz, or Instruction, which was a proposed new legal code that outlined her vision of a progressive Russian nation. Most controversially... <laughs> it, caused for the ab- it called for the abolition of serfdom, which is this entrenched feudal system in which peasants were basically enslaved and freely traded among the lords who owned the land they lived on. Like indentured servitude yeah, almost, right? It, it yeah. wasn't great. Unsurprisingly, said nobles who profited immensely from this system weren't super keen on dismantling it. Man, where have I heard that before? <laughs> hmm. 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 <laughs> so Catherine may have been empress, but like her main base of support came from Russia's nobility. And there was a very real possibility that like if she pushed them too far, like that support would just completely dissolve and she would be deposed in favor of her son. Like it's I happened mean, like eight other times this century. It could happen again. In uh, quick succession too. Yeah. 
Uh, so it would be another hundred years before the serfs were emancipated, coincidentally, around the time of the American Civil War. Oh, well. uh, and even then, the czar that did it would eventually be assassinated. Of course. Uh, so like almost really any leader in history, Catherine was not as progressive in practice as she liked to portray. The Nakaz was never actually adopted in any real way, but it, it was distributed widely and it kind of cemented her reputation as this enlightened European ruler. Yeah, I, I feel like that's happened a lot where someone swoops in and is like, I'm going to make all of these changes, look at them, and then like nothing actually happens. No, but people yeah. are like, but she was going to make those changes. She sure did try. And I, look you know, at all the thoughts I, she had. I do feel like her motivations were genuine. I just think like met with the reality of the politics, it wasn't ever going to well, happen. It, it's kind of like um, Obama had all these wonderful ideas, but... It still has to make it through the other layers that would, like, implement them. So you can have really, really good ideas. You can, like, do your your goddamn best to make them a thing. But then you still have to work with the people in charge who uh, don't want to do that thing. Yeah, this is the thing. Yeah. So Catherine found she was more successful in establishing Russia as a great power through military pursuits. Hmm. Uh, so over the course of her reign, her armies would clash with the Ottomans, Sweden, Poland, Lithuania, and the Crimea. Uh, the end result being a vast amount of new territory for Russia. So yeah, well, you hear she about was good at it. Much. <laughs> uh, more than anything, her most successful and lasting contributions were to Russia's cultural landscape. So Catherine was a self-described glutton for art, and she began collecting it kind of as more of a way as to like legitimize her status as a westernized monarch. Mm-hmm. But in the course of that, she became incredibly passionate and knowledgeable about it. It happens. Yeah. Uh, so in the 34 years she reigned as empress, Catherine acquired the kind of art collection other royal families took generations to amass. Uh, and it now serves as kind of the core collection of the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg, which I would love to go see someday. Yeah, I mean, it would require going to Russia, but that does sound very cool. <laughs> uh, she also commissioned other co- cultural projects, such as this big imposing statue of Peter the Great uh, and Russia's first state library. Because if I'm if I'm not mistaken, Russia before that point wasn't super like intellectual. Like all of the great Russian literature came around or after that point. As far as I know, yeah, I am honestly not. Besides Catherine the Great and uh, Anastasia, like those are my two touch points in Russian history. <laughs> so I can't speak to that one way or the other. But he definitely pushed it along. She made being intellectual more of a commonplace thing as opposed to before where it sounds like it was um, for nerds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so once in power, Catherine made a point to make friends with Europe's greatest, thinker- Europe's greatest thinkers of the day, including Diderot and Voltaire, with whom she corresponded with for over 15 years. Yeah. I mean, they say never to meet your heroes, but like there she is just being pen pals with Voltaire. Yeah. No, they were good friends. That's nice. Uh, she was also a champion of science. This will tie into our last week's episode. When the world's first inoculation against smallpox was invented, she embraced the innovation with open arms. Like, literally, like, she stuck out her arm. <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> Is that a vaccination pun? <laughs> yes. You ass. <laughs> so, in 1768, she became the first person in, person in Russia to be inoculated against smallpox as a way to encourage others to do the same. I'm very proud of her. This was a new thing, and the general populace was a bit skeptical. Maybe understandably so. So, like, shots weren't a thing. You didn't have syringes. They oh, yeah, I forgot that. smallpox vaccinations were terrible. <laughs> so inoculation at this time involved slicing two or three times into a patient's arm. 
And then the doctor would grate pustules from smallpox patients into the open wound. Very um, cool. Yeah, one of the 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 ways that like they they checked to see if you were vaccinated in that time, I think it was more around the polio time, but maybe smallpox was if you had the scar on your arm from getting the inoculation. Yeah, like I think all our parents like have a they didn't slice into your arm, but there was definitely they like a noticeable a yeah, yeah, smallpox scar. Or smallpox vaccine scar. Yeah, and that was how they could, like, tell that you had been vaccinated and that you could, like, go certain places. So yeah. what I'm saying is that asking for proof of vaccination to go places isn't new. Thanks it's for fine. making that point, Emily. Yep. <laughs> so unlike today's vaccinations, which, as we mentioned in our last mini... Are uh, not use, that bad. <laughs> ...use dead or weakened bits of a virus. This is not true of early inocula- inoculations. Like, they were literally just, like, Throwing pus from sick people at you. (laughs) So there was a small chance the patient could actually die. Um, Like contract smallpox and then get sick and bad things. Um, So Catherine's inoculation was done by a man named Thomas Dimsdale. So he was an early pioneer of the method. Did you just giggle at Dimsdale? Yes, because that's the name of the fictional town and the fairly odd parents. (laughs) And when you're trying to make a serious point about vaccinations... (laughs) Sorry, it's just it made me think of the Fairly Odd Parents and then how their sports arena is called the Dimodome. <laughs> Are you gonna be okay? No, I have COVID. Dimsdale. This guy. <laughs> he was an early pioneer of the whole inoculation thing. When he did hers, he did make a point to keep horses at the ready outside the Russian court just in case he accidentally killed the Empress. <laughs> Needed to make a quick exit. He had his baby driver sitting out front. Luckily, uh, he didn't. She was fine. <laughs> uh, and she named him Baron of the Russian Empire. So he got off Damn. well on that one. Uh, she would later write to her buddy Voltaire that those skeptical of inoculation were truly blockheads, ignorant, or just wicked. <laughs> I love her. Uh, just overall, kind of as a person, like she, Catherine was, she was a... She did the damn thing. Like, she was very dedicated to her work. She would wake up at five or six in the morning. She'd brew her own, like, pot of coffee because she didn't want to bug her servants. And then she'd sit down and she'd get to work. Like, she was a good, good empress. Uh, So Catherine, wisely, never remarried. Yeah, Uh, I mean, who would? Understanding that to do so would mean relinquishing some of the power that she had fought so hard to gain. Uh, she did have a very long, a very long string of ex-lovers. And like the Taylor Swift of her time, it's all anybody cares about. Yeah, no one ever talks about the amazing music or the very cute bangs. <laughs> uh, so over the 34 year, or nah, it would begin before her reign, but over like the 40 years she was in Russia, she'd have maybe like 12, 12 guys. Damn. So, which many of Catherine's detractors would use this as ammunition against her, like, painting her as a sexual deviant because god forbid she like you know slept with more than one man in her entire life i remember correctly her husband was also dicking around (laughs) yeah well in reality like she was more of a serial monogamous than anything else like she admitted herself that the trouble is that my heart is loath to remain even one hour without love like she's the girl you knew in college who always needed to be in a relationship (laughs) how did you know who i was thinking about uh, but that is to say, like, most of her relationships stretched two years or more. And she was usually, like, when she had, like, a favorite, she was with the favorite. She never really, like, slept around, necessarily. She just, you know. She just had 
relationships. She just had a guy at every time. It was at all normal. Time. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, she was rather prudish, I guess. Uh, she disapproved of off-color jokes and even like didn't like to see nudity in art unless it was mythological or allegorical. <laughs> Needed to be I, tasteful nudes. <laughs> allegorical nudity? I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know. Maybe we'll try to find a picture of allegorical nudity for the Instagram. I don't... <laughs> Which is to say, like, this isn't much of a narrative for a powerful woman you're trying to minimize and delegitimize, so... Yeah. Here we are. She's a slut. I'm not going to go through the whole list, because I, I honestly don't care about most of them. Uh, we're <laughs> going to talk about a couple of them. All right. So the first guy is Stanislav Poniatowski. Who Love it. Amazing. They all have great names. Uh, he was a Polish noble and diplomat with whom Catherine had an affair while she was still married to Peter. Uh, it's very possible that he was the father of her daughter, Anna. Uh, he would later propose to her after she had taken the throne, uh, seeing the obvious political advantage of being married to the empress. Uh, this never materialized, and I think a lot of people made fun of him for it. <laughs> Not going to happen, guy. <laughs> he tried. <laughs> he, he, he shot a shot. Not that his relationship with Catherine didn't pay out any dividends. Uh, so in 1763, she essentially is installed him as the king of Poland with the intention of making Poland into a puppet state, which it essentially did become. So good for Congratulations. Her. Like, that did the thing. He got to be king. Uh, so Grigory Orlov, who we've previously mentioned, uh, also met Catherine while she was still Grand Duchess and, of course, played that important role in her coup against Peter. Uh, he also may have been the father of her young- younger son, Alexei. For his role in the coup, he was made a count and a general and was gifted his own palace in St. Petersburg. At some point, we're going to have to do a mini about what the different like titles mean, because I couldn't tell you the difference between a count and a baron and a duke. Yeah, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. They're all very good. So their relationship lasted 12 years, years which is the longest of any of Catherine's affairs, uh, but he wasn't her greatest love. That title goes to Grigory Potemkin. A lot of Grigories. Yeah, it, it's kind of like John, I think. <laughs> well, it's Gregory, but... It's Greg, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, you know, occupies a similar space um, as John. Saying you're dating a Gregory is much better than saying you're dating a Greg. Very much so. Uh, so Potemkin and Catherine actually met the day of her 1762 coup. Uh, he led one <laughs> of the regiments in support of her, which is... The Damn. Greatest meet cute. That's the kind of meet cute I want. <laughs> He was later singled out and promoted by Catherine. Like, he had a sharp win. He was kind of a flirt. And could you not go promote him? <laughs> Pretty hot, you're, I assume. You're empress now. Oh, yeah. He was, I mean, <laughs> he is cute in the way, like, all old uh, noblemen are. Grigory Potemkin. P-O-T-E-M-K-I-N. He's going to be wearing a wig in the picture you find, but otherwise. Yeah, he could get it. Probably. <laughs> it's got some eyebrows on him. Yeah. When they met, Catherine was still with Orlov and would continue to be with Orlov for quite a while. And because Potemkin's military promotions meant he also was off and traveling abroad, they didn't really begin a relationship until 1774. Um, Above all else, Catherine valued Potemkin for his conversation and his ideas. Like, their physical relationship actually didn't last for, like, more than two years. She moved on to someone else, but, like, she continued to rely very heavily on him for friendship and advice. Giving me real Dan and Blair from Gossip Girl vibes. <laughs> like, I can get behind it. Yeah. Potemkin continued to wield enormous influence, as some of observers noted, acting as czar and all but name. So after Russia annexed Crimea, she made him the governor of the region. 
And it's from this role that he had there that we get the term Potemkin Villages. Have you ever heard of this? I have not. Okay. So this is basically a phrase which in modern usage is like, it's a false construct you put up either literally or figuratively meant to hide an undesirable situation. So you got a real ugly building. You don't want to look at the ugly building. (laughs) So you put up a nice flat facade, like a movie set right in front of it. So you can't actually see the building. All you see is this facade in front of it. That makes it look all nice and clean to hide the reality, you know? It's yeah, thing. okay, okay. So as the story goes, the whole origin of this was when Catherine traveled to Crimea to survey, you know, all this new land she owns. Potemkin would set up fake villages along the banks of the river the Empress was traveling down. So he even went so far as to populate these villages with his own men dressed as peasants. <laughs> so putting on a whole show, they would put, you know, do their thing. As she passed down on her barge, and then once she had gone past it, they would disassemble the entire village and rebuild it just downstream (laughs) to maintain the whole, like, to give off the impression that the region was doing better than it was. That's the story, anyway. Uh, There is, of course, debate among historians as to how much of this is true and how much of it is a myth spread by, you know, people who didn't like Potemkin. I mean, it doesn't sound particularly uh, easy to do. No, and it's possible that, like, it was a situation where some of the buildings were real and others were supposed to kind of show what the region would look like, and that Catherine was aware of this and even knew which ones were which. Okay. And then it got spun to make Potemkin look like a fool. So Um, he was just conceptualizing it to... Yeah. Truth or myth or mixed bag or whatever, uh, Potemkin and Catherine remained close throughout the rest of his life, and on his death in 1791, Catherine reportedly spent days overwhelmed by tears and despair. Oh, uh, so there's this letter she had written to him uh, in every <laughs> every source I saw this quoted. It was in all caps. So it read, I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Says you are so handsome, clever, jovial and funny. When I am with you, I attach no importance to the world. I have never been so happy. So I'm going to put on Travis's birthday card this year. <laughs> right. Exactly that. It's I'm really just- sweet. It's also she would have been writing in in Russian, right? Yeah. How do you or even probably do French? Upper- I think French was like okay. the language of the court at the time. Okay, I'm still just trying to picture like <laughs> all uppercase cursive. Yeah, it's very aggressive. I yeah, I just, it might have been emphasized on, with like underline. Who who even knows? But every source had it in all caps, and I just thought it was so cute. That is adorable. I loved it. Uh, okay, so lastly, speaking of our lovers, we gotta talk about the horse. What? You may have heard, maybe oh, not. Oh god, this! At some point, a story that Catherine died while attempting to have sex with a horse. Right, right, this, and nothing we know of her up until this point would even make that seem plausible, but continue. Yeah. Specifically, the story was that there was a harness suspending the horse above her, and it broke, and she was crushed beneath the horse. Dear God. This is not true. Uh, obviously not. Obviously. <laughs> uh, it's an urban legend that emerged decades after her death, like helped along, you know, by, you know, general misogyny and overall discomfort with a woman in power who was open with her sexuality. Like, she wasn't even that open usual with her bullshit. sexuality. <laughs> oh, God. So in reality, Catherine died as the result of a stroke. So she passed away on November 17th, 1796 at the age of 67. Respectable age, I would say, in the 18th century. Yeah, I mean that's that's a pretty, it's pretty old, especially considering what happened to everyone who preceded her in 
on the throne. Like, yeah, she got off pretty well. I think she was the longest ruling uh, female ruler in Russian history and would maintain that uh, record for reasons we'll, we're about to get into. Yeah, she was one of the last. <laughs> so she was succeeded by her son, Paul I, despite their estrangement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so before her death, she had actually made moves toward naming her favorite grandson, Alexander, as her heir, like skipping Paul in the line of su- succession entirely. Yeah. But she died before any announcement could take place. I didn't really get into Catherine and Paul's relationship much, but they also never really had one. Yeah, I mean, she was busy. Well, so the thing was, like, when she gave birth to Paul, Empress Elizabeth, was who was childless, insisted that she was going to raise Paul herself. <laughs> Except she also didn't know how to raise kids. <laughs> so she These basically people. pawned him off on a series of, like, just random caregivers. Like, there's a story I read that, like, he would regularly fall out of his crib at night Oof. and no one would notice so he would just sleep on the floor all night good <laughs> god a baby like sad royal child royal childhoods all around you did not have a good time as a baby in russia at this time no so like he never got to form a bond with Catherine. she never got to form a bond with him um so he was jealous of like the gifts that she would give her favorites uh she he may have blamed her somewhat for his father's death uh, I mean, which, it was. Uh, well, she didn't stab him in the butt, but she probably put him in the circumstances in which he... <laughs> uh, so after she passed, he actually had Peter III's remains moved from the church where he had kind of been unceremoniously buried after, you know, that whole yep. thing. Uh, he moved it to the Peter and Paul Cathedral where all the other stars had been laid to rest and where Catherine would be buried as well. Okay. Uh, he also, like, I forget what the act is called, and I didn't write this in my notes... But he literally, like, passed a legislation making it so that the Russian heirs all had to be male from that point forward. Oh, is this motherfucker? That is why. <laughs> He's he the reason so, we had Rasputin? He was so bitter about his fucking mother that he passed dumb a law bitch. about it. <laughs> this dumb bitch is probably the reason that Russia went to shit. She's <laughs> not that forward thinking, I guess. Unbelievable. <laughs> A dude with mommy issues is the reason that a bunch of children were murdered. I'm mad now. So, okay, I don't want to end the episode on Paul, because fuck that guy. Uh, So we're going to end with this. In a will written before her death, Catherine gave very specific instructions regarding her funeral. (laughs) She said, lay out my corpse dressed in white with a golden crown on my head and on it inscribe my Christian name. Morning dress is to be worn for six months and no longer. The shorter, the better. Shorter the dress or the shorter the time period? <laughs> shorter the time period. She didn't want people moping. They I like also her a lot. Play, play Wind Beneath My Wings uh, twice during the ceremony, and I would like a chocolate fountain to be served at the reception. As befitting of any royalty. Yes. <laughs> That's Catherine the Great. I hope you will go watch The Great now, which I, has yeah. nothing to do with any of this, but it's kind of fun knowing the real background and kind of like seeing what they're... They kind of like pull on different strings. Like they go with the inoculation stuff and it's inspired by. Yeah, it's very much yeah, they very much like cherry pick little bits of history they want to include, but um it's a lot of fun. I will say, and don't tell anyone, I think I prefer Elle to Dakota. Oh yeah, she's clearly I mean they're both great. But I love Dakota, I like especially in the alienist, but like Elle is cuter. <laughs> She's so good in the great too. The Neon Demon will fucking wreck you. So. I need to I need to watch that yet. Don't do it on edibles or mushrooms, just that won't be a problem. <laughs> well, oh. I have decided oh, that boy. 
for my bachelorette party. We'll go out to a nice dinner. We'll do that. But my only request is that everyone eats one edible. Sure, including, okay. Including including you and my sister, who's really the 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 center of this. Look, it's not that I don't do edibles because I don't want to. It's that they are not can't. readily available. <laughs> and I don't want to find a drug dealer. It's too much work. I was telling Travis this, like my plan, because my sister made me wear stupid shoes and a horribly uncomfortable dress at her wedding. So I'm like, how am I going to get her back? And this was it. Like, I don't know if you can do drugs for the first time in your 30s or 40s, (laughs) but we're gonna find out. Well, I am greatly looking forward to that. Whenever that happens, I don't know. What's this deal? Yeah. Uh, Elle Fanning is adorable. That was, that's where we branched off. (laughs) So, yeah, Catherine the Great is a a cool lady, even if her son was a piece of shit and her husband was a a baby man. Yeah. I'm sure her son was a summary. I'm sure her son wasn't a complete piece of shit, but just knowing that he was the reason that Rasputin, like, gained all that power, just really, just... I was gonna say, to be fair, he didn't have a great childhood, but there are also plenty of people who have great childhoods and uh, don't bring down the entire Russian monarchy. Yeah. By being stubborn about something stupid. I was gonna say, we'll do Rasputin later, but I have literally already done Rasputin. It's like the second episode. (laughs) It's the... Yeah, it's the second... Maybe I'll revisit it sometime now that I can pronounce things. Can you? Mm, maybe. I, I, mm, no, I can't. All right. So if you know what a, uh, what is it? Hemorrhage. Or hemorrhoidal hemorrhoidal colic. If you know what hemorrhoidal colic is, we are on Instagram at Afternoonified. Please no pictures. <laughs> uh, we are on Twitter at Afternoonified. Please no pictures. And you can also email us, please no pictures, at afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com we also have getafternoonified.com where you can use our contact form to not send pictures of uh, hemorrhoidal colic just realizing how much I don't need to see like diagrams Um, you can also donate you can buy merch all of our proceeds for the merch are going towards Black Lives Matter we will be dropping a new merch design courtesy of actual superhero Avalon Leonetti Happy it's pre-birthday. Amazing. You guys have no idea. It's it's beautiful. Um, I just have to work out like what kinds of merch we're gonna have that on. And if you have opinions on what kinds of merch you want you want in general, um, tell us on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. I think that's it. Oh, remember to like, subscribe, rate, review. The usual. Yeah. Well, that was a very informative, very good episode. I learned a lot. She's a cool lady, and I'm glad I got to research her a little more. And not just fall asleep listening to her life story. Generally, yeah. All right. (laughs) Okay, guys. Bye. We love you. Goodbye. Oh, hello. It's me, the ghost who haunts your phone. Just kidding, it's actually me, Avalon, the host of Boohaha, which is a thing that I do. A podcast, if you will, that happens some weeks, not all. Don't wait up, it's fine, we'll call you. Shut up. Anyway, it's about ghosts and tangents. Mostly tangents, if I'm being entirely honest. So join me each and every week-ish as I gather the funniest people I know to a campfire that I build in my living room and then regale them with spooky tales of boogans and googas. Oh, also, it's a comedy podcast, if that wasn't clear from 
the vibe, you know. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.